Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 449 is recorded live May 28th, 2020. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where I th- I think we're soggy enough without actually getting in the water. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, and we have not had rain today, but I'm a little south of us. Got, got kicked in the butt again. Lots and lots of rain. Yeah, it's just been, uh, the sky's been leaking pretty regularly. This almost feels more like the... Uh, April showers than the May time frame, but it's just things that happen. We can get water whenever. Well, it rained this morning, drizzled this afternoon, a couple of spots. My neighbor got his yard, talking when I got mine cut real quick, so at least I got my yard cut. But I think we're supposed to have good weather partially on Saturday and maybe Sunday. So, okay, just in time for the weekend. We've had last weekend was gorgeous Memorial Day weekend. Oh, wow, yeah. You kind of asked for butter, but I'm not quite sure the social uh, distancing was maintained. <laughs> and I'm really curious to see what this can be in about two weeks. Well, that will be the kind of one of the uh, validating factors, a live experiment with a bunch of volunteer subjects. So we'll find yep. out if social distancing is that important or not, because uh, I, I was observing the same thing that you were. So, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, I, I, we I did uh, take advantage of uh, visiting with some family this weekend that we hadn't seen in a while. You know, we did the appropriate social distancing. So, you know, knock on wood, that was enough. But it was actually nice to see some people who we hadn't seen in a while. Well, we did. I took life out and we visited all the local beaches, but we did from the safety of a car. And I parked no closer than two car length from anybody. She stayed in the car. I got out and took pictures, but I never got close to anybody. So I, I really make an effort not to get, I think the closest I was to anybody was Karen the other day when uh, she dropped by and picked up a couple of anchors I had. That was about the closest I've been to anybody in weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like we said, this uh, this experiment will, you know, we'll watch the numbers. Uh, currently, they've been about flat in in, in our neck of the woods. We haven't really had the spike, but uh, it's uh, we haven't really had the significant downturn yet. Uh, the hospital was saying something like they expect the peak is now moved off until September for our area. I don't know. So, I've been trying to keep track of it and looking at both the WHO and the major ones, the CDC, mm-hmm. and there is not a lot of consensus on anything yet which really surprises me after three months oh oh no because everybody's you've you've got so many you know uh political problems going on you have you know uh organizations worried about funding if they say something that somebody doesn't like uh you also have people counting numbers differently um 
So yeah, I, th- I think we're just screwed. <laughs> I, I think we've got a while before we really know much of anything. So it's going to come down to individuals just deciding what's best for them. And hopefully that's enough. Well, I mean, you know, we've been talking about this for a while, but I was looking at the aspects of what we're you know, you would think that after this time, look at the items they do not know. And what information's up there is from all the different doctors who have been working with it. Conflicting. It says, is it an era, is it aerosol spread like the measles? And the answer is yes, but how badly, they don't know. It said, is it droplet spread like the flu? It says yes, but again, how badly, we don't know. How long does it live on surfaces? Well, we think it, meaning they don't know, because you think after four months you have a better handle on it. It can it be spread by human waste. Well, it's one of the articles we're going to talk about tonight is absolutely, because they're finding it in Florida. Can we get from cats? Article today indicated that you absolutely get it, and that's from domestic cats, not the ones in the zoo. So it's like, mm-hmm. that's odd. Again, how many people are infectious? That's arbitrary from anywhere from three days to a month. Depending on who you look at, what experience, what country. Um, how deadly is it? They say it is at least four times, everybody agrees on this, four times more deadly than the flu for older people. And there's this item after item. Then you look at what should you take? And it only looks like there's two items that they really want to use. That's that Remdesvar, R-E-M-D-S-V-I-R, yeah. may decrease hospitalizations. They've been using that. So you're sick in the dog, but they Get you out instead of 14 days, maybe 10 days. Hey, I'll t- yeah. take for it. Right? P-R-O-N-I-N-G helps when they're doing intubations. Depending on who you talk to, and my driver say that hydrochlorine, whatever, worsens yep. the outcomes. And then the one that stands for promise is the plasma from those who have had it. That's promising, but still a big maybe. But after four months, you would think they would be a lot more solid information. That other one, hydro, I can never, never pronounce them, but that one, the chlorine, mm-hmm. quinine, yep. they, they're finding out it's toxic to the heart. Well, well my, you know, my, it's like you may be cured of this, but you're going to die of something else because the meds. Well, the thing on that one, if, if you're referring to the same medication that I'm thinking of, is I know a variety of people have been taking that for years. So that why is it together. now not both of them together. Oh, okay. Is that the, is that is that the combination? Well, you're saying that that one and the uh, erythromycin mm-hmm. are potential deadly one. But like you said, the one that they take for uh, malaria, they've been taking yeah. that for years and years. And the other one, I think I can't remember what it's, it's for. Or, but the people have been taking that for years also. Um, God, what is that? Karen probably knows. She's probably trying not to tell me what that is. But. Um, <laughs> It's a common item. I just can't think of who's... I know some friends who have it. They take it to lessens their symptoms. And they were yeah. afraid if somebody else uses it, they're not going to have it. I cannot think of what it is. But I just, you know, after four months, I would have thought they'd have more concrete information. They have it, and I find it very discouraging. Well, the, the thing that bothers me the most is nobody can say if you've caught... if you Say you've, you get COVID-19 or you have the antibodies. Can you get it again? And it seems like that is something that that's something that seems like it's so completely testable that why don't we know that? You yeah. know, we've got 
you know, over a million people now with antibodies that are known, yet we can't determine if they can get it again. Wouldn't people, if they got it a second time, be screaming? And I know I've seen a handful of cases. No, I say handful, just a few who they say have gotten it a second time, but did they really get over it the first time? But yeah, I mean, yeah, just not, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed all the way around. I, that's my point is I, with all the experts and all the hundred different major organizations looking for uh, the the item, the the magic bullet, because you're talking money, you know, everybody's got a, something into it. I would have thought we'd have more positive feedback and a better idea after this long, because it's basically been December to now. That's the see. We're talking six months. Yeah. So don't know. But I wish to get some of that crap together because, again, I'm at that age where you can get an issue a lot more than if not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some and some good comments in the chat room, both Karen and Eric. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I understand that a peer-reviewed study. The thing is that do we have two years? I mean, that's not going to do me any good when this is all over with. Oh well, guess what we found? Uh, you know, I would like to have something. Well, you can't tell people who are adamant about the mask doesn't help. I, I love the one where you're wearing trousers and you pee. If you didn't have the trousers on you and you peed on me, I've got it. This way, I don't. Why would you not wear a mask and why? It may not be a 95, but isn't something better than nothing? I would well, think so. Yeah, and, and we talked a little bit about it last week, and I've seen a few uh, posts just this week. But to me, it's about it's about risk how much risk you're comfortable with and what each act does to the risk. Cause there's not like a magic wall at six feet for social distancing where, you know, it goes, it hits the six foot barrier and then disintegrates. Uh, in fact, I was seeing something where they were talking about uh, some of the initial cases in China and uh, it was one of the first people to have it. Like it wasn't quite patient zero, but they were in a restaurant and they know everybody who was in the restaurant. They know what tables they were sitting at. And there's there's like a, a row of four tables, you know, round four-person mm-hmm. tables. And then there was a row of two tables. And they mapped everybody who came down with COVID from this original person. And some people who were really close didn't get it. But some people who were farther away did. And what they determined, it was the air conditioner. I saw and that. the airflow, and that and that to me makes perfect sense. That's how I would envision it uh, being able to pass. And mm-hmm. that same art, same article was talking about outside why it was so incredibly difficult. Now, if you walk by, you know, if somebody's running by you and they don't have a mask, and you know they're exercising, you know the the, the odds are very low. But if you you know bump into somebody on the road and you're both not wearing masks and you talk for 10, 15 minutes, you've, you significantly increased the chance if one of you had it, that you're passing it. So um, that's really about it. We, again, you do not want to catch this. Uh, I don't think, you know, they say, well, I'm young, I I can afford it. You probably can and more power to you, but I I hate to have to stay in the house all the time. Well, and I don't, I get up and drive around I fly, but I really don't get around people. Not at all. I mean, we had a plumber come in today. Cleaned out the room he needed to work in. He came in the front door, talked to him, 
through the hallway, did it? When he left, we declined everything he could possibly have touched because I can't afford it for my family. He did. That would not be good for my family. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm just disappointed. They don't have a better handle, and I just, it's hard to believe they don't. Yeah. Well, we'll see how much of this I leave in. We, 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 went, we went a little bit long on this, but let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. We have a, quite a full news load this week. Uh, first one is out of New York Daily News. All 34 people killed in the California scuba boat fire died of smoke inhalation before burning the corner set. Uh, that fire that broke out in the California dive boat late last year, uh, they're saying that that smoke inhalation is what did them in. Of one crew member and 33 passengers lost their lives in the early morning blaze aboard the HM Conception which was floating off the Channel Islands. The lone survivors were a captain and four other crew members who were asleep above deck when the fire broke out on September 2nd, right before dawn. Details in the coroner's report suggested passengers trapped below the deck bunk were attempting to escape before they were knocked out by smoke and fumes. One person was clutching a cell phone while the other died in a flashlight in their hands. Some passengers were in various states of dress when the remains were recovered. It's not clear whether they fell asleep that way or uh, maybe they were trying to escape. The Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office spokesman, Lieutenant Eric Rainey, said smoke inhalation was listed as the cause of death for all 34 victims, which created lethal levels of carbon monoxide in their blood. Rainey told the St. Barbara Independent all extensive fourth and fifth degree burns found on the bodies occurred post-mortem. DNA tat- and tattoos are needed to make most of the identification, <clears throat> which I hope that's true. <laughs> Not saying that they would, you know, kind of try to make people feel better, but yeah, that's my thought too. Yeah, you would hope no, they were not conscious. That. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, and then uh, researchers track high levels of COVID nineteen in Florida wastewater. South Florida sewage is chock full of the virus. It's an overcast but beautiful Sunday evening Went near uh, Ben T. Davis Beach, along with Courtney Campbell Causeway. People are out enjoying a nice swim and break from the heat. But some researchers now want to know if bodies of water like Tampa Bay and others around the state could potentially contain dangerous levels of COVID-19 coronavirus after accidental sewage spills. Here in Miami-Dade, they've been doing some studies in the salt water on beaches to make sure they're not contaminated, said Dr. Aline Marty, an infectious disease expert to Florida International University. She and other researchers around the company are keeping close eye on what happens to Florida's raw sewage and where it ends up. Our wastewater is chock full of virus, said Marty, who has been looking at the concentrations of the virus in sewage since Miami-Dade began taking samples in March. Ever since then, scientists have been working to estimate how many people are sick based on the concentration of virus in the wastewater. They report their highest level concentration April 9th, estimating 2% of the county's population, or about 46,000 people, were infected. As long as we have COVID circulating our population, people using Sewer systems relieve themselves. That wastewater is going to have virus in it, Marty said. Marty's increasingly worried about the potential for broken sewer lines or even overflow during major rain events like hurricanes. To see a St. Petersburg previously struggled with municipal accident release of raw sewage or partially treated wastewater. Swimming areas like Ben T. Davis Beach sometimes even have to be shut down when the local health department finds high level of fecal bacteria. The idea is Florida's be uh, up to its game and the treatment of that wastewater ensure that before wastewater returns to whatever bigger, larger body of water it's going into, 
that it's no longer contagious, Marty said. And while experts agree UV light from the sun can help kill the virus, that process takes time and doesn't happen right away. Marty adds COVID-19 has no problem with salt water and thrives in human blood, which is considered a salty environment. If it doesn't get treated before it goes in the sea, then the little zones or the wastewater is coming out as a potential place of contamination. Besides Miami, Houston is also testing its wastewater. 10 Tampa Bay is checking to see if any of our local wastewater agencies are testing their sewage for contamination and if precautions are be taken in the event of a spill. Well, we know if that happens there and they have a large, like I would imagine around Detroit areas, their sewage systems might have a lot more than ours since they have more issues. Mm-hmm. So that makes you wonder about that one. And if you worked in a sewage plant, are you using breathing apparatus so you're not in a toxic air environment? I mean, I'd be concerned if I worked in a sewage plant. Yeah, because you have to believe that there are pieces of equipment in there uh, that could. Well, you got the agitators. Yep. You got agitators. And you walk in, you go, I can smell that. So come on. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. It didn't address uh, that, and I'd be concerned if I worked in one of those places. What's also interesting is where is their estimate where they said forty six thousand people were infected. Yeah. So so that is just one location, and from what I've seen the numbers, and I haven't specifically looked at Florida, but I'm guessing that those forty six thousand people were not tested, and uh, you know maybe they're asymptomatic or or something, but. Uh, the testing numbers of who had, who didn't, how many, the numbers are so skewed right now because if you don't know how many people actually had it, Matt, they weren't tested, so you don't know if they had it. The numbers mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. And then there were then there we've had people who were tested who had all the symptoms and the test came back negative, but was the reason it was negative is that they were too far past the infection point and some points they had different equipment that was not functioning correctly and the test mediums were not accurate Mm -hmm. gave you some faults one way or the other yeah well speaking about social distancing they're saying that swimmers are advised to social distance from 30 foot sharks filmed off the irish coast as many as nine basking sharks have been filmed swimming off the chill island with one believed to be up to 9 meters or 30 feet in length. The numbers have been steadily rising, and sightseeing, sightings have become much more frequent in recent years, said local Sean Mallow. Um, Mallow. Mally? Mallory? I'm, I'm adding letters. Malloy? Malloy. Yeah, that, well, that's it. That's, that's a ticket. There you go. Who shot some spectacular drone footage at Keene Bay last week? Former shark fisherman Brian McNeil estimates that these sharks are above average size, one particularly large one, well over 30 feet or 9 meters. Capable of growing to 10 to 12 meters in length, basking sharks are the world's second largest fish. After the whale shark can be seen feeding off the Irish coast from April to August. This year, the sharks have been spotted in the coast of Coe Waterford to Cary, Clare, Aryan Islands, Mayo, according to the Irish Basking Shark Project, the IBSP, a group of research studies. With the fine weather of sunshine and calm seas, and maybe with people a little bit more attuned to nature in these unprecedented times, there seems to be more sightings than usual for a longer period, it says. Although basking sharks are plankton feeders, 
and generally harmless to humans, their arrival has prompted it to recommend swimmers, boaters, and kayakers to practice social distancing if they happen upon the animals and for others to safely observe from the shore. For basking sharks, the recommended social distancing is four meters, not the two meters as required by our species. So, and they, they go on for quite a bit talking about the sharks, but there's some nice photos in there. Yeah, the one with the open mouth coming right at you, that? <laughs> I don't care if he's playing it or not. You could pretty much swallow me with that. Tank and all. Is he going to be able to spit you up if he, uh, if you... If he enveloped you, and you panicked and blew up your BC. Oh. <laughs> what, what's that shark going to do? Because one, you can't close his mouth. You're in there. You can beat for a little bit. I don't know how tight that would be. So would he go deep? Would he go up? I don't know what he would do. I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that was that sounds like the plot to uh, some uh, slapstick comedy, but uh, well, I don't know. Would be the guy to find out, or to be the uh, chairman. Yes, yeah, that would not be a, a fun day. But yeah, he's 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 a big guy. Yeah, I just want to watch your video on then. No, I I didn't because I don't have uh, the bandwidth to <laughs> to do that. But uh, I'll I'll have to give it a, a look later on. And then scuba divers are caught out illegally nesting, netting octopus on Roquest de Mar Beach in Spain's Osta Almeria. And I know that's probably nothing like how that's pronounced. Guardia officers had spotted two divers out of the water. They watched them come out of the sea and take off their wetsuits, then go back in and bring out two large baskets full of recently caught octopus and load them into a vehicle. The officers proceeded to identify the divers and inspect the catch. It turned out they had violated the fishing laws, capturing 25 octopus, five of them immature, adding up to 30 kilos in total. Which they had said what the, the penalty was for that. That's 60 pounds, man. They must be having well, a fish boil or octopus boil. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't even say how, Do you know how many are like that. Do you know anybody? I mean, I've had some in a restaurant before, and then I've had dehydrated. I mean, and this has got to be 40 years ago. So I don't know. I, I don't, it's definitely not common around here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen the octopi out there. No. I, yeah, then, I'm curious. It doesn't say what the penalty was, though. It doesn't say what the penalty was. It doesn't say if it's legal in any quantities. You know, they said some were immature. Does that mean that at certain size they are legal? I would think they were if they a certain size, but mm-hmm. it sounds like they sure got a bunch. For, uh, well, they said yeah, anyway. yeah, Karen. Karen's saying they're very chewy. I've had that. They're chewy, almost like now, rubber bands. Now calamari. What's calamari? That's squid. Yeah, I've had calamari. I've not had yeah. octopus per yeah. se. Yeah, calamari. I'll have every you know, maybe once every couple of years. I had it in Frisco. Yeah. There's a few restaurants around here that will do calamari, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not locally caught squid. <laughs> <laughs> if could, could you, uh, you know, just kind of uh, slice a snake and pass it off as calamari. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't spiny, lo- spiny lobster raise an undersea racket that can be heard for miles away. Um, uh, European spiny lobsters create quite a rumble by rumbling the antenna across their face. A spiny lobster can create a sound that might, under the right underwater conditions, be detectable for up to 3 kilometers or 1.9 miles away. The sound known as an antenna rasp 
occurs when the extension of the lobster's antenna move across the rough patch under its eye. Lobsters then make the sound for communication or to scare away predators. In a recently pu- published study in Scientific Reports, researchers asked how far does the sound of the rafts travel, and can these sounds be used in a non-invasive way to monitor lobster populations? Spiny lobsters are found in the eastern Atlantic Ocean, in the Mediterranean Sea, intensive fishing of lobster for food in the 1960s and 70s made spiny lobsters scarce in European waters and even led to local extinctions off southwest Britain. Though populations rebounded, there needs to be monitor and manage lobster populations from over-harvesting. Using hydrophones, underwater microphones that recorded sound in all directions, researchers recorded 1,560 antenna rafts from 24 individual lobsters in the Bay of St. and de Porzic, France, which I know that's not the name. They placed hydrophones at distances of 10, 20, 50, and 100 meters, 33 to 330 meters from each lobster. The largest lobster with a carapace or body shell 13 and a half centimeters long or about five inches made sounds detectable at 100 meter distance. In general, the larger the lobster, the larger the sound. Oh, and they have an audio file. Those are pretty good size uh, lobsters. Yeah, they had a lot of audio files for the different size. Yeah. So, well, they yeah, hit the common yeah. item. The density of seawater allows sounds to travel over greater distances compared to mm-hmm. air. And we know that because if the boat comes over you, one, you can't tell what direction it's coming from, really. No. And it really, there is a lot of noise pollution if you're in a harbor area. It's amazing how noisy it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just other noise is going to cover it up. So. In certain conditions, I could see it going that distance easy. Well, I keep thinking, if I were looking for, I wonder if crabs do the same thing. Those guys in the Bering Sea put down uh-huh. those megaphones. Let me look. Where, where are they talking at today? Now they yeah. don't know where to go put their traps out. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, that photo that Karen's got there in the chat room. That That's oh, bigger oh. than a puppy. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good one. Jeez. Yeah, That'd I be will a love nice them. There. Name them Testy, Tasty. Yeah, name them Tasty. Uh, and I, I wonder if these are tasty. If you catch a Frankenfish, kill it. Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission, Northern Snakeheads, a non-invasive, a non-native invasive predatory fish, sometimes called Frankenfish, stacked up on the Susquehanna River fish passage intended for shad, have pushed the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat into a preventative action. The commission has issued an advisory urging anglers who who catch snakeheads to kill the fish and report it to the agency. The advisory was issued last week after operators of fish lift and Conowingo Dam observed 35 snakeheads and the East Fish Lift and managed to net remove 14 of them. But 21 of the snakeheads made it upriver of the dam and into the Conowingo Pool about five miles downriver from the Pennsylvania-Maryland state line. The 14-mile-long Conowingo Reservoir, which is the pool formed under the Conowingo Dam, is the most downriver pool of the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania. The fish passage seen systems in Conowingo Dam, Holtwood Dam, upriver of Conowingo, and Safe Harbor Dam, upward from Holtwood, all designated to assist migrating African shad in their spring spawning runs, did not begin operation of the normal starting date of April 1 due to restrictions associated with coronavirus pandemic. First well, passage. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's a, th- that was a paragraph 
end a sentence. <laughs> uh, first passage operations commenced at Conowingo East Fish Lift on afternoon of May 12th at a point which nearly 70% of the annual shad spawning migration would have already passed the dam in a typical spring. Over the next four days, only 485 shad were counted, but a record 35 snake had appeared. Due to concern over increased invasive species passage and the lateness of the season for successful shed passage, the Susquehanna River Aquadramus Fish Restoration Cooperative <laughs> recommended the fish passage operation be immediately ceased. According to the commission, the fish passage operation, the Holtwood and Safe Harbor Dams upriver, also ceased immediately, although no snakeheads were observed in either location. During two days of operation, 12 shed passed the Holtwood Dam and one was observed passing the Safe Harbor Dam fish lift. In response to known presence of snakeheads in the Conowango pool, the commission launched surveillance operations utilizing boat electrofishing to find and remove the snakeheads. On May 21, while targeting the habitat areas for the species, commission staff located and removed one snakehead from the river. A private environmental consulting firm conducted an unrelated survey in the same section of the river, also collected one snakehead and provided the specimen to the commission. Moving forward, biologists will combine an ongoing survey work target other species in the lower Susquehanna River to observe the dual purpose of searching for and removing snakeheads in the Conowingo Pond and its tributaries, said Chris Kunn, director of the Commission's Bureau of Fisheries. Anglers also play a critical role in controlling the spread of the invasive species and recounting on their cooperation. The commission noted that possession, transport, or importation of live snakeheads is unlawful in Pennsylvania and Maryland. Any that are caught should be killed and disposed of properly or eaten. That that's or uh, properly or properly eaten, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, it 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 it's not just you know I'm going to kill you and all your family. You're going to be eaten. I'm looking at that fish and it's like I wonder how edible it is because that's a lot of fish. Yeah, and they and they they are a tad on the ugly side. Yeah, but you chop off the head, and how much meat you got on that sucker? Oh they yeah, look, they look pretty damn healthy. Yeah, they're they're pretty good size. So, and this one's from the Daily Mail. It says not all heroes wear capes. Australia rallies behind legend who was fined for rescuing whale calf trapped in the net, and he won't be paying a cent. Australians have raised more than $2,000 for a diver who was fined after heroically jumping off his boat to rescue a whale calf trapped in shark nets. The Django, who only shared his first name and refused to say why he was fined, jumped in his tiny, jumped in his tiny and traveled 500 meters into the water. Is, is a tiny a boat? Or is that a banana hammock? Oh, no. The, fo- the photo is showing a boat, so that must be what tiny means. A tiny boat. <laughs> I, I guess uh, we would call that just it looks like a tinny 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 a tinny tinny okay maybe it's a brand yeah. uh, drone footage showed him rip off a shirt put on flippers before diving in the water to cut the stranded whale free it's unknown how long the calf believed to be a humpback had been trapped many social media users rescued to his defense after he revealed he had been fined and created a GoFundMe page which has now reached $2,100 in a matter of hours. The organizers of the page said extra money raised would go to charity and research Foundation for Whales. Not all heroes wear capes. Some have a heart in a dinghy, one person wrote. 
Great job, the legend that saved his baby Will from a horrible fate. I'll donate to help pay his fine, an Aussie hero said. Well done, mate. Penalty for intentionally moving too close to a whale comes with an on-the-spot fine of $630.75, a maximum fine up to $20,814. The whale was first spotted in trouble about 7 a.m. Tuesday by a drone operator at the Burley Hill, where it was seen badly tangled in nets. Drone operator James Cable said the whale looked very distressed. I saw a whale and thought, that's pretty cool. The Django, who had been looking for a large Manorena's boat, told Seven News. I saw it was in the net and thought, well, that's not cool. The Django said the whole whale had been approximately eight to nine meters deep and said he wasn't worried because he's a decent free diver. But because of the adrenaline, about two meters down, my heart was just pumping. So that's why I kept coming up and going down, he said. While he knows he is in trouble, the Django said he assumed anyone would have done the same. SeaWorld Rescue Crews. I was going to say, you you would assume that the Good Samaritan Act would cut into that, and that would not even be an issue because, you know, for the intent. So why, you know, why would anybody ever think he would be fined? Well, he's been fined, but, and I don't know if they'll get to it down here later on, but a lot of times, you know, law enforcement is writing a ticket because that's what they interpret. You know, the rule was broken. But it can get thrown out, you know, depending on, you know, I know up here, uh, it'd be hard, you'd be hard pressed in certain situations to be charged when you're actually doing a good deed. Uh, SeaWorld rescue crews were waiting nearby in the water, but remained on standby due to a suspected communication issue, Department of Boating and Fisheries. During this time, the mystery man took it upon himself to untangle the whale and was spoken to by fisheries rescue team after cutting the animal free. Conservationists are calling on the government to remove shark necks as whales head north for their annual migration to warmer waters. Wildlife photographer Scott Wilson said he was gearing up to free the whale, but was strictly told by authorities not to. Obviously, due to public liability, it's a risk they don't want to accept, he told Sunrise. Griffith University marine biologist Dr. Olaf Maynecki told ABC it was the first time a whale had been caught in the nets during May. The condition is also extremely unusual for entanglement. It was quite windy and choppy, and usually the, wheel sta- the whale stays further away from these southeasterly conditions are prevailing. I don't think I would call for removing the net because one whale got caught in how many years? Well, and your limit, I mean, the, somebody paid for those nets. Uh, and a lot of times it's the local businesses in the area because tourism can be a large economic boom. And if people are afraid to swim in those beach areas because of shark attacks, uh, then they stand to lose a lot of money. So that's why you see a lot of those nets. How effective are they? Does anybody out there know? I'd be curious. I don't. I've only seen it on a few of the, uh, you know, discovery shows. Yeah, because the ones I've seen have always been, you know, where you know the end of the swim area is like an oval from shore mm-hmm. to shore out. So it's a limited area. This sounds like it's in a, a much larger area. And you're not normally going to have boaters and stuff within that area where you've got the nets, I would think. Somebody I don't think you normally I don't think you normally do. One lucky and then, fish. Yeah. And then a teenager finds rare whale vomit, which could be worth thousands. Teenager thinks she may have found a very rare lump of whale vomit while walking on New Brighton Beach. 
uh, Proswisa Shirasing, 18, was walking on a stretch of sand yesterday afternoon. She spotted something unusual ahead of her. She said to the Echo, the tide was out, and I saw something ahead. At first, I didn't know what it was. It was soft and a bit runny in my hands at first. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait. Are you going to pick up something soft and runny? I, I mean, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Oh, I, what does she do for hobbies? I mean, she like clean stalls without a scoop. I mean, I don't. What in the world? I do you walk around on the beach and grab runny things? <laughs> now the the photo. Yes. Now they show they have a photo showing her holding it. It doesn't look all that runny, does it? No. Now, not now. maybe it's dried out. Yeah, maybe maybe she just they brought it back just for the photo op. Uh. Her parents run a Thai restaurant in Wallasey, and they said she now thinks a strange substance might have been a waste product emitted by sperm whales. Uh, I went online, did a little bit of research, and now I think it might be ambergerous, which comes from sperm whales. It's a type of whale vomit. It's used by some perfume houses to make sense. It is rare and can be sold for tens of thousands of dollars per pound. It is rarely recovered on British shores, usually found the coast of the United States and Australia. Solidified remains of sperm whale vomit is released when the animal is ill at sea. Although clear in appearance, it turns darker over a period of months. I've seen a few emails trying to find out what it is. It's worth a lot of money. It will be amazing. It would be nice to treat my parents to some nice things. Will you have to wait and see? It'd be nice if they had a follow-up on that. Yeah, I guess. I'd probably be curious. It'd be interesting, but I'm still... Why? I mean, I'm thinking of there's got to be. And, you know, last week we had the decapitated walrus heads. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of things on the beach you don't necessarily want to pick up if you don't need to. Especially barehanded. Would you have picked that up barehanded? No, I would have probably looked at it and then, huh? We were just talking about waste treatment plants. Who's to say it came <laughs> from a whale? I mean, there's all sorts of things. Yeah, was, was there a cruise boat going by? Is Was it purple? I, I don't know. And then here we got one. It's, a, it's some nice photos. I, I love when you see some of these underwater photos. I know these some of these titles do it just because we all gawk and stare. But uh, t- the photographer takes eerie images of sunken tank trapped in time under the Red Sea. Uh, the Red Sea near Jordan, diving down to the tank, a rite of passage, one magnificently Captured by Swedish professional diving photographer Alex Dahl- Dawson, American-made M42 duster anti-aircraft vehicles used by the Jordanian Army in the 60s is subsequently sunk by the Jordan Royal Ecological Diving Society in 1999 as attractive for snorkelers and scuba divers. Dawson not only got the stunning shot of the original sunken tank, but he also snuck peek at Jordan's underwater military museum, the first of its kind in the world. Helicopters, armored personnel carriers, uh, medical vehicles are all strategically sunk and now offer both habitat for marine life and incredible pictures for divers. The tank has an incredible feature of being close to the South Beach, some 20 meters or 66 feet offshore, only 6 meters, 20 feet deep. Comparatively easy access with a sunken C-130 Hercules transport plane attraction also nearby has made the tank somewhat of a diving icon. Alex Dawson explains, I took similar images 16 years ago on my first press trip assignment during the daytime, so my plan was to do it at nighttime and paint it with underwater lights. 
careful planning of the image in Sweden before flying out to Jordan, Dawson created a beautifully haunting tableau of the barnacle encrusted tank. Me and my dive buddy Frederick asked the rest of the boat if we could have five minutes earlier start before the rest of the divers came down to the wreck. This allowed Dawson to create the perfect shot. That is an awesome picture. It's amazing. That's that's really nice. That is not a GoPro photo. That is somebody who's got. I don't. I don't think so. Not nothing against a GoPro. I mean, a GoPro is going to be good, but that is just amazingly clear. Yeah, that's really nice. Uh, I even like some of the daytime shots that that thing has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the that's the other trick is getting down before other divers. Stir up the bottom. Well, that's the whole key. If you stay the hell off the bottom, yeah, we need a few things like that. I would, I would think that would be great in a preserve in Michigan. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. because it doesn't. I mean, think the of that. Action is going to move that too much. No, no, bring it on. I think is what that says. <laughs> and you could do. I've, I've wanted to do something like this where you kind of have them, you know, every thirty feet apart, forty feet apart. You have a string of those so yeah. that you could come to the site and, and get them. I mean, one would think you could do that easier than you could a ship. Oh, yeah. Because you could put and a couple of those on a barge, put them down on the bottom, like you said, you know, so many meters up, put another one, another one, another one. Fits foot of water, that would be a hell of a draw. Hmm. That's something to, to think about. Well, why, yeah, the military's got all sorts of junk they're tossing away, used for target practice. I would think they'd be happy to do that. Now that we talk out loud. Yeah. Well, the tough thing is just the, the preserves. You know, the rules are it has to be a vessel, and it can't be junk for scrap. So, Well, you know, they will make exceptions for a military memorial, blah, 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 blah. Come on. Yeah. I can see that. Well, what I like about this is it wouldn't count as your one shipwreck. Yeah. Yeah, that might be interesting. I don't, I don't think the wave action is going to move it around too much either. No. Uh, Michigan archaeologist wants your help in scouting for shipwrecks. Influx of coastal visitors poses opportunities for archaeologists archaeologists who study and protect the region's shipwreck. The Manitoba Passage Underwater Preserve just off the coast of Sleeping Bear Dunes is home to roughly a dozen wrecks. And all the state of Michigan water is home to at least 1,500, which that is a large understatement. Wayne Lasardi, Michigan's maritime archaeologist and Department of Natural Resources, gets it. Beachcombers thrilled the thought of finding a bit of ship of a wrecked ship. It's tempting to think that any water-slicked, sand-crusted, old-looking thing that washes ashore must be storied. He frequently fields inquiries from people who think they found something remarkable in Michigan, the current coronavirus pandemic happens to coincide with pleasant weather and unusually high water levels, which can erode shorelines, turn up wrecks, uh, and fling fragments ashore. They can be dicey for archaeology. Exposed fragments are prone to dying out or being hauled away by people, but these conditions make it oddly perfect time to help archaeologists keep an eye out for known shipwrecks. The inventory of possible odds and ends and other artifacts are freshly visible. Some of Michigan's wrecks and associated debris are stable enough to be marked by interpretive plaques, while others play peekaboo. Under any circumstances, the shoreline around Sleeping Bear Dunes is very dynamic, says Laura Quackenbush, Parks 
retired curator and historian who spent about a decade tracking shoreline shipwreck fragments. Things come and go constantly, move up and down the beach. That's partly because of the wind, Lasardi says. Prevailing breezes blow in from the west and southwest, slamming water hard against the shore. Where Lasardi lives and works in the nearby Thunder Bay Na- uh, National Maritime Sanctuary, on the eastern edge of the state, wreckage tends to be snag or nestle near bedrock outcrops and stay more put. Things are wilder over in the western border, he says, where things tend to be very mobile. A fragment, even a large slab, that's a glimpse on shore one day, may not be there tomorrow, and it may come back two weeks from now, he said. Five years from now, it may be 10 miles down the shore. Lasardi encourages people to pipe up when they see something because it might not be around for long. But by time here, one of his colleagues can visit something that's been reported and may have vanished again. Conditions at this moment are good for shipwreck seekers. Lake Michigan has splashed near or above record highs for months. The latest forecast, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers estimate May water level Lake Michigan to be 34 inches above the long-term average for the month, seven inches higher than the same time last year, three inches above the record May high set in 1986. 34 inches above the long-term average? That's three three freaking feet. Yeah, you want to get uh, record dive depths on the wreck you've already been on. That's the time to do it. No hunting around for a hole. Well, heck, the Havana must be three feet deeper now. It certainly should be. Yeah, and they go on. They got some some interesting photos in there. Yeah, I was about to say that. Some of the pictures are pretty nice, but most of the people look at some of that stuff and say, yeah, looks like a telephone pole. It looks like a telephone pole. Looks like a deck. Yeah, the the, uh, Francisco Morazan offshore wreck visible from South Manitoba Island. That's seen a rough days is, is is that one that kevin was talking about with all the birds on it i don't know and then storm reveals a 120 year old shipwreck in the great salt lake so just not michigan but other places are seeing <clears throat> similar things a storm revealed a 120 year old shipwreck in utah's great salt lake great salt lake storms can be ominous but also fascinating explains great salt lake state park and marina in a facebook post noting has been boating on the lake since the 1880s Oh, there has been. I'm thinking, wow, that's a he's quite an old guy if he's been boating that long. Uh, some of these boats experience tragic endings only to be buried by sand in storms, but storms can also uncover them. The most recent one did the Great Salt Lake Marina. The old steel boat likely dates back to the turn of the 20th century, according to State Park and Marina. Uh, so there you go. The best thing you can do for that one is just like the pictures here. You take mm-hmm. the pictures now because it ain't going to be that way. And most people are not ever going to see it. Mm-hmm. So taking the photos like this and maintaining them, that that's the only way to do it. Yeah. And then like we've always said, the spe- the fishermen are the guys who know where all the shipwrecks are. Absolutely. And this is included in Mexico. Fishermen has led researchers to a fascinating discovery. The remains of shipwreck over 200 years old were discovered off the country's Caribbean coast. Underwater archaeists said the remnants are what believed to be an English sailboat dating back to the 18th or 19th century. While most of the wood is rotted away, the ship's anchor, cannon, and cast iron ballast were still intact. The boat was sailing through the area known as Dreamcatcher when it met its demise. The location gets its name from many ships who have met their fate there and is close to a ring-shaped Banco Chinchoro Atoll Reef. Archaeologists think it sank after hitting the bank of the reef, also known as Nightmare Reef or Sleep Robbing Reef because of the dangers it posed to seamen. 
Anthropologists said they have reason to believe the crew tried to prevent catastrophe by throwing the anchor, but sunk nonetheless. The shipwreck was named Manuel Polanco in honor of the fisherman who spotted it, but it's not the first discovery in the area. Manuel Polanco is the seventh wreck to be found in the area, according to the BBC. Polanco is now retired and in his 80s, made some of the remarkable discoveries in the 60s and 70s. As a perfect example, uh, some of the best-known finds are iconic shipwrecks dubbed 40 Cannons or the Angel. Uh, due to his advanced age, he was unable to assist Mexico's National Archaeological Institute in locating a wreck, but his son was able to go instead. The fishermen are the ones who know the Chinchero the best since they navigate it daily to earn their living, diving the Caribbean waters to find fish, lobster, and conch. They sell in... Uh, I'm not going to say those names. It often happens to be a submerged archaeological context. Yeah, fishermen are your friends. If they can tell you where they're getting stuff snagged. If they want look to. Look how clear that. Yeah. Well, they, they're not going to give up their honey holes. Uh, Maybe the beer or two, though. Something a little stronger. Oil of the tongue. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, relic hunters have been given permission to cut into the tent. The, the, yeah. The Titanic, for the first time since it sank in 1912, they are looking for the Marconi Telegraph that issued one of the world's first ever SOS calls as the vessel went down. The federal judge in Virginia given the salvage firm permission to cut the Titanic for the first time since it sank. Uh, an order was released Monday. U.S. District Judge Rebecca Beach Smith agreed that the Telegraph is historically and culturally important. It could soon be lost within the rapidly decaying shipwreck site. Smith wrote, the recovering the telegraph will contribute to the legacy left by the incredible loss of Titanic, those who survived, and those who gave their life in the sinking. Smith is the maritime jurist who presides over the Titanic salvage matters from a federal court in Norfolk. Her ruling modifies a previous judge's order from the year 2000 that forbids cutting in the ship or detaching any part of it. Smith orders a big win for the RMS Titanic to court-recognized salver or steward of the Titanic's artifacts, the firm recently emerged from bankruptcy and is under new ownership. The Titanic had been traveling from England to New York when it struck an iceberg that sank in 1912, killing all but 700 of the 2,208 passengers and crew. The large and luxurious ocean liner sent out distress signals using a relatively new Marconi wireless radio system. While most ships were equipped with the Marconi telegraph, the Titanic was the first to send an SOS signal, three dots, three dashes, three dots, and Morse code. The messages were picked up by other ships offshore receiving station. They included, we require immediate assistance, have struck an iceberg and sinking. We are putting women off in boats. Now, Mac, I'm looking at the photo they're showing of this Marconi, and that's what I'm imagining it would look like, being a largely wooden desk type of item. Is that going to survive? Did you take a look at the one in the uh, room? It's a little different than that desk. I oh, okay. I see. It would yeah. have been corroded like crazy by now. I. But there's I, still a I good chance. Have to guess. <clears throat> still a good chance. I mean, you're going to be able to get. You're going to be able to get parts and be able to say this was it, but I think you're going to have a hard time. I mean, it, it's. I'd be surprised if it's in restorable condition, but it's one of those items that has a story to tell. So if you're going to bring something up and you're going to put it on display and then imagine they're going to sell tickets to it, then that's a type of item that you want. And then who knows what else they also are looking for that they may uh, 
maybe they won't bring it up this time, but maybe they'll get some ideas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think that does it for scuba in the news. Let's see, do we have anybody who's got any diving in? I saw John uh, had a beautiful fish that he, he caught this weekend. Well, I know that uh, some people were out there at Diamond Lake. Uh, 20 feet of visibility and 52 feet. That was, I think, uh, Kirk. Okay. I think, I can't remember if that was Bob with him on that one or not. Because then I know John Uh, was out, Big John was out uh, before Jim got dinged in the head with a ladder. Uh, He was out at Magician. I think maybe Ted was with him. It it may have been. Yeah, I I, I saw the photo with Kurt, but I don't think it was Bob with him. Uh, and then Dave in the chat room said that uh, it wasn't exactly deep diving, but he did uh, maritime seawall work last week. And I think that counts. If you got the gear on and you're underwater. You got water time. You got to dive. Yeah. yeah. Especially this year. Phew. You know, any, anytime you can get in. And then Eric says they had 16 divers last night at Gall Lake in Prairieville. That's awesome. Get that many people going. And then I think, Karen, weren't you talking about you're trying to get the uh, the boat in the water soon? Yeah, she's hoping for Sunday. So that's that's some ah. good people getting out. Nobody's been on on the Havana yet, which surprises me. This time yeah, of year, and we still haven't been on the Havana. Oh yeah, I, and that's happened. I don't know if it's happened before this late. I know we've we've waited till May before, which always seems kind of odd because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think we've been on there in March before. Like my my first time uh, diving on the Havana was a very early season dive. Jim and I went out there. Well, I did quite a bit of posting on the club board out there. I don't know uh, how many people actually tuned in, but you had the Dave Trotter Shipwreck Arcade. That was on uh, May 27th, 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And uh, I posted a couple of interesting articles from Dan on COVID-19, meaning what do we know today about it? because it looks like mm-hmm. it really does a number on divers and their uh, pulmonary system. And there was also a nice article I put in there from Dan again on uh, disinfecting dive gear. So there's been a lot of activity out there by a lot of different groups. And, well, uh, and I, also I, I did the um, Dan first aid course, you know, we, the one we took a couple of years ago that expired. Yeah. They had the free online updates electronic ones and i went ahead and did that now it do took you, a little while to run but it's still amazing what you forget you think you know it all uh, and then oh yeah i forgot about that oh i forgot how to turn the person this way uh, yeah. so it's free it's it's available i put it on the club site now is you know, that one i'm sorry go is, ahead is that available even if you haven't taken the dan course before yes, for it? yes okay. it is the only thing you can't do is get a refresher credit Mm-hmm. And um, I even got a feedback from Dave, from Dave, who was my instructor, that with the proper hands-on time, then I renews my my certs for that. Yeah, because I need to get mine renewed. I haven't work hasn't you know with the COVID. There's been a lot of training that hasn't gone, so a lot of my first aid has expired now, and I need I, to get that back caught up. I recommend doing this one because it's very good, and it's some new little nuances of how to turn people mm-hmm. uh, items of, of the initial patient survey where you, if they're conscious, you need to tell them who you are 
that you're trained or would like to help. And two, if they're conscious, if you don't ask for permission, you're in a world of hurt. You could be in a world of hurt. Yeah, if that's just conscious. A, if they're conscious. Yes, yes. And that and that's something in the training that I've I've had is that you you're always trying to communicate. You're talking. You're asking if you can do things because that can really get uh, touchy. Uh, you know, if you're a male and that's a female down there, and you start putting hands on somebody. Yep. Uh, you know, no no matter if you saved them or not, that can later come back and be something else. Yep. The other article I really enjoyed was the AED literature. Uh, could they show different ones and how, if you forgot, because you haven't used it for a while, the pad placement is usually right there on the pads. Uh, talked about if you've got one, make sure the batteries are good. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is go to the club site, look for that Dan video, take that hour or so that it'll take to go through it because you have tutorial, then you have a quiz, another tutorial, quiz. And the time goes by pretty quick, and it's surprising what you forgot and what refreshes in your mind. Well, and then if, you, if you're going to go and endure a fresher course, having that done beforehand just makes it easier. Because I'm always mad. It seems like I miss a question each time. Yeah, sometimes they're subtle the way they word them. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they, they're not. It's like, oh, duh. Yeah. And you have yeah. Yeah, your your mind thinks of something a certain way, and it's really the other. Right. And then I was looking at that also. I know that Bob and company did a um, Go Lake on Memorial Dive, and the mm-hmm. visibility there was pretty darn good. They did that in Ross Township. And that was John and Kirk at Diamond Lake uh, with John, good visibility. Yeah. And then we had uh, Ron Swank. They were out, and wherever they dove, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five different major masks plus swim fins. It's like, man, they did. They made a heck of a haul. Well, that's what I was wondering. That had to have been a uh, a relatively untouched spot to come up with that's that much what? of a haul. Yes, that's what I thought. And it's like, uh, where's that at again? I'd like to see that one. Well, and then fi- if he found all the masks within the same area, it seems to be odd because it's kind of like, Lose a mask, find a mask. I've gone to the same area where I've lost a mask before and found one, but not the one that I lost. Yep, yep. Well, the club <laughs> so. site, we've been doing pretty good because uh, May 20th, there was great uh, Lake Shipwreck Live. That was Tamara Thompson. Thomas. Yeah. Uh, that mm-hmm. was from the Wisconsin Marine Archaeologist, and that was a, a really good show. So yeah. things out there, so just don't look at our site. Take a look at other places. And and go to the maritime museums, and the uh, you know, Southwest Michigan, Western Michigan, UPCs. Look around; there's tons of information that'll help keep you current, even if you're not getting wet. Yep. Well, do you have a dive safety story for us for this week? Actually, I do. Let me see if I can relocate where I put it. Well, under Dan e-learning, there's a whole section called diving after COVID-19. What we know today. I won't go through it, but if you go to the Dan site, just put Dan.org. They've got tons and tons of stuff that there's a lot of fun to go through. Uh, one of the articles is a flood without flotation. A rebreather diver failed to test her rig after valve replacement. Her rig flooded, leaving her without buoyancy and breathing gas. Her story. I was recently certified on a closed-circuit rebreather system feels very different than an open circuit, so I was trying to get comfortable using it 
while on a trip to the Bahamas. I carefully transported my gear, and on the night I arrived, painstakingly set it up for diving. On the first dive the next day, my buddy told me that I had a small leak coming from my overpressure valve. He tried to troubleshoot it underwater. No dice. He asked if I wanted to continue the dive or abort. It was not a major. I opted to continue. Planned to have a closer look at the valve back at the dock. Finished the dive without further issue. At the dock later that day, I took the valve out to inspect it for cracks. Found none. But he put a little bit of plumber's tape on the threads, reinstalled it, and I headed back out to dive. And in red, I did not closely inspect the valve once it was replaced, mistake number one. When I put the valve and the unit back on, I reached behind me and I say I reached behind me and turned my cylinders on, one small twist each. Mistake number two. The oxygen cylinder requires only one small twist, but I forgot the diluent cylinder is the same as your eighty cubic foot circuit tank. The, the cylinder must be opened wide to allow for any flow at all under pressure. So I entered the water, splashed first, and began my swim towards the anchor line. Suddenly I realized two things at once. I was taking in water through my mouthpiece, and I felt like Wiley E. Coyote when somebody hands him an anvil. I have never felt so heavy. As I plummeted towards the bottom, I switched to open circuit via my bailout valve. This is a device mounted on the mouthpiece of the loop. With one 90-degree twist, the user can switch back and forth between open circuit and closed circuit. In the open circuit mode, I was drawing directly from my diluting bottle. You know, the one I had failed to open all the way? So nothing happened. In closed circuit mode, I got in the water. In open circuit, I got nothing at all. While my mind was ripping through possible causes at a mile a minute, I realized I didn't have flotation either. The dilutant cylinder is plumbed to the BCD, supplies gas for flotation, the same as it does on open circuit. As I descended uncontrollably, something to my something to breathe came secondary as I swam for the anchor line with all my might. When I finally reached the line and arrested my descent, I was able to ditch my loop, switch to open circuit bailout. This is a standard part of every rebreather's diver's dive gear. Say independently. Independent cylinder, usually sung to the slide of the di- side of the diver, provides backup gas in case one should become necessary to abandon the closed loop. So I was now breathing and got instantly engulfed in clouds of bubbles from my exertion and heightened anxiety level. Pulled myself up the line trying to calm down and troubleshoot at the same time. I knew I turned on my dilutant. I couldn't remember I could remember doing it, so why couldn't I access it? Pulled myself hand over hand to the surface as my head was broke the surface of the water. Dive master on the boat said, hey, you okay? And I shook my head, no. The waves were still breaking over my head, and I was not willing to part with my regulator yet. When I brought myself into control, I realized I would have to let go of the line to swim to the ladder. Nothing doing because I still had no flotation. I was seriously conditioning my unit when I decided to try opening my dilutant valve further. The sea state was about six feet, so it took me a minute of fighting to let go of the line with my left hand, make a space between my bailout cylinder and myself, find the valve, and open it. So now I had flotation. I was able to inflate my BCD, let go of the line, make my way to the ladder, board the boat. Broke down the unit, I found the scrubber canister and breathing hoses totally flooded. Divers comment. 
I was quiet and introspective for the rest of the day, scrutinizing what I had happened. I could only surmise that the overpressure valve got stuck down, cross-threaded during reinstallation. I should have made a close visual inspection, but more important, I should have performed positive, negative pressure checks again. And those are done before the first dive and whenever the loop seal is broken for any reason. They're designed to show the diver that the system is truly closed and ready to dive. I also realized that while I had turned on my dilutant, I had only turned it a half a turn, making it no good under pressure for bailout, gas, or flotation. I had never anticipated having two dramatic problems at once. No flotation and nothing to breathe at the same time is not fun. I did learn, though, that it does not have to kill you. My training kicked in as it was designed to. Although I admit I was scared, I did not panic. That saved my ass. I knew what to do. I'd been trained to do it, how to handle a flood, and I did. Admittedly, I had never trained to handle a scenario with no gas plus no float. I had to improvise a few protocols on my own. I took away some very important lessons with me that day. The buddy checks that were so important when I was sport diving had faded into background when I became a diver. Those checks should have been more important than ever now. I have more gear, more technology on me than I used to. Two sets of eyes should make that make sure that everything is good before I splash. I need to take the time to inspect my gear thoroughly, make sure it passes all the pre-dive checks before even thinking about getting into the water. I knew to set up my unit the way I was taught to do before every dive, every dive. The dilutant all the way on. I also learned that what I had done right, I did not panic. I retained my ability to think and reason throughout the whole situation instead of giving away to animal instinct. I attribute my ability to handle the situation to the fact I had such good instruction. We had reviewed the flood drill more than any other skill in class. As a result, I had the knowledge and ability to handle a real situation. Since these drills were so fresh in my head, I did not hesitate to carry them out. If it had been years since my training, this outcome might have been very different. Reinforcing the theory that is necessary to practice all life-saving skills on a regular basis. I assume all responsibility for what happened that day. I know the entire incident was because of user error, mine. I know now that I will and will not ever do certain items again. I also take credit for a successful self-rescue. Gave me the confidence in my instructor, my training, myself, and in my system. I can confirm that what you are taught truly does work and might save your life. Practice what you're taught. Very good. Yes. Uh, Kind of the thing I was wondering with only a half turn, would that prevent you from inflating on the surface? It didn't say, and it doesn't sound, she even did, well, it's like your scuba tank. How many times do you have to turn that on before you got something? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I'd I, laugh if I hadn't have done half those mistakes on open circuit myself. So, uh, so a, a, a good lesson to learn that you can walk away from. That's why in the river, especially if you're not jumping into 10 foot of water is you got time to realize you screwed up when you fall off the boat. You better have had your wet dry suit zipped up, your PC hooked up, 
and your freaking air turned on. Yes. And know how to ditch your weights. <laughs> Which people times? do not do. Yeah, when so, in doubt, yeah. you get rid of it. Yeah, because how, how many times do we see the, the uh, death report and the person hadn't ditched their weight? Almost everyone. Yeah. So it's much easier to do a chamber ride than be alive than to uh, to be at the bottom and dead. Yeah. But then again, a buddy check before you go. Oh, yeah. It's like Prevent. breathe yeah. off your regulator like we talked. Watch your pressure gauge. Make sure you got three good breaths and it didn't go down. Puff your BC before you get into the water. I mean, those two alone can save your life. Oh, yeah. Good. Excellent. So it's hard to believe we're past Memorial Day. Yeah, you're going to turn around and it's June. It'll be July. What are you talking about? Well, that's true, but it's going to be <laughs> that's June that's, 1st. That's what happens. It seems like Memorial Day, and then you blink, and it's July, and then you blink, and it's Labor Day, and then we're talking about Halloween. Yep. Well, I know that uh, Kevin and, and Gary were uh, working on making up the um, – Weighted crids for the Anna yeah. Five and the North Shore Tug. And so, I hope they had some help with them because some of that weight looked bigger than two people weight. Yep. I was looking at the pictorials. That's real good shots of them working. And yeah. That's yeah, a lot of work they're doing. Yep. They had the cutting torch, taking some I-beams down, and that wasn't your you know, minor I-beams. Those are some sub- sub- significant girders. Uh, and the, you know, the Ann Arbor Five is... Quite deep. I think it's 160. This year, it's probably 170 to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, and and that's where the crib has to be. The crib has to be in the bottom. The top of the wreck is probably about 116 to um, add for the extra depth this year. But you've got the uh, less than. It's still recreational deck uh, depth to get down to it, but you quickly go beyond that. Yeah, you go down to the props, and you're just the increase in water level you're close to the 130 yeah. mark yeah yeah you will be this year so but that has to be on the bottom and then we're talking about doing a tagline from the uh, uh yeah. the mooring line yep 120 foot over mark to the vessel yep. those were really handy let me tell you if you've not used them oh yeah and most of the places up north where you dive the shipwrecks with few exceptions you go down the line till you hit the tie off then you take it over to the wreck Mm-hmm. Always remember, though, well, where that ties off at on the wreck, because if you get a lot of cloud and stuff, it's hard-pressed to find your way back home to that that upline yep. if you don't remember where you got on the yep. that. Yeah, on the Ann Arbor 5, hopefully we can do a couple lines so uh, yeah, we can put it to the – because there's some rails there yep. that you can put it to. So there could be some common points where you could we could run some lines in between to get you back up there. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so they'll have that. Uh, so we have two uh, deeper wrecks that they were getting the cribbing set for. So that will be going in, and then uh, this just this weekend, I saw the Rockaway buoy in my barn that is uh, begging to be put back into the water. Anytime. Yeah, yeah, we need to. Well, I know it won't be this weekend because uh, they have the uh, marriage this weekend. Kevin. Yep. And Amy. Kevin and Amy, reception. congratulations to them. Yep. Uh, no reception because of the COVID, but that's uh, going to be a very joyous event for them. Well, I guarantee you. I mean, most time, most people can't forget their wedding, but you know, they've got some uh, common points 
uh, that they'll certainly remember years from now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's see. Do you have anything that we need to plug before we get on out of here? Not that I know of. I'd like to thank everybody who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over the Patreon link and uh, donations of $3 or more will get you early access to our show notes and really helps the program. Uh, we had a new uh, patron this last week. Um, and I won't mention a name. I'll have to look through my, my notes to see if there's – sometimes people don't want to be mentioned, so we want to respect that. But we'll give a shout-out if he's at that level and wants it, or he or she. And uh, certainly appreciate everybody who's uh, been supporting the program. Um, we're on Twitter, at Obsessed. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scoob obsessed. So I think we are to that time of the show. Right. Let's see. Now I, I've talked. Oh, oh, this is that joke we promised last week talking about the storm. So are you ready? Yep. I'm sitting down. I'm ready. Okay. A dive boat runs into a terrible storm. Rain and wind and huge waves pound the boat. Divers are quiet, but really scared. They're sure the boat is going to sink and they're all going to die. At the height of the storm, a young woman jumps up and exclaims, I can't take this anymore. I just can't sit here and drown like an animal. If I'm going to die, let me feel like a woman. Is anyone here man enough to make me feel like a woman? One of the dive masters stands up, a tall, handsome, muscular man. He smiles and starts to walk up to her. As he approaches her, he takes off his shirt. She sees his huge muscles. Already, she's glad for a decision. He stands up in front of her, muscles bulging, shirt in hand, and says to her, Here, iron this. So hopefully, for his sake, she wasn't armed. <laughs> I mean, if you're, gonna, if you're going down anyway, you know, uh, I, I, I could see some extreme methods being used to show your displeasure with the response. <laughs> I see Kara just typing something. Let's see if it yeah. doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If you, if, if you get that all-woman jury, I think you would be able to get a, get away with uh, well, at least the outcome. Me a, at least he didn't say, make me a sandwich. Make me a sandwich, yeah. That, that's another joke. <laughs> Hopefully the right knife wasn't in reach. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he, he may have been singing soprano before he was done. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.